Welcome back to another episode of Girls Talk Money. Today we're diving into how to build an effective budget when everything seems expensive AF. Before we get into it though, we're going to do our little weekly update on how everything is going. We were just talking about this. So when you're listening to this, it's several weeks out from when we were actually at FinCon. But Erin and I were at FinCon for five days, which is a financial conference, and I am still recovering. I've been home now since Sunday. Today's a Friday, and I am still recovering from FinCon. I was just telling Erin not to start the recording because I was yawning so bad. I don't know why we weren't there for that long. We only went out one night, and we didn't even really drink when we were there. I've only, I only had, I think, a couple of drinks the entire weekend. Um, I think it was the long flight home on Sunday. Grace and I were in the airport in separate airports because we don't live in the same city, but we were in the airport for probably, I think mine was 13 hours, literally. Yeah. And that just takes such a toll on your body. You posted on your Instagram story, you slept 13 hours or something crazy yes. Sunday night. Well, the night before we left, I slept in the hotel for maybe three hours. Then we had to wake up at the crack of dawn to go to our flights. And you know, I'm, I'm the type of person, if once I get on the airplane, I'm knocked out. I'm I'm gone for the whole flight. I will not be awake. So I slept, you know, two hours on one flight, two hours on the next. But then I was so exhausted because it was just, it wasn't high quality sleep. And yeah, that night when I got home, I went to bed at 6.30 p.m., like out cold at 6.30 p.m. And I didn't actually get up until 9 a.m. I slept 14 hours. It was crazy. I think I entered another dimension. It was just so much sleep. And I've been sleeping a ton this whole week too. It really does take a toll on you. I feel like having all those really long travel days. I have been sleeping a lot every night this week as well. I didn't sleep 14 hours because I actually, when I got off my flight, at I think it was 4.30-ish on Sunday. I had to drive close to an hour and a half to my parents' house to go get my dog. Luckily, my boyfriend like was so sweet. He drove me there, but I still had to sit in the car for another close to three hours round trip. So we didn't get back until around 8 p.m. and then went straight to bed. And I think I slept until 9 a.m. on Monday or something, which yeah. I really never do. I'm usually up by seven. But all week, I just haven't really been able to recover. I haven't been working out a ton. I think I only went to the gym once this week um but hopefully by next week we are good to go so we can dive i guess straight into today's topic with that we have been getting a lot of people asking us about this topic and it's also just something that i feel like has been top of mind for both of us as we're both kind of in different life situations where our budget is shifting you're moving into a new apartment i'm looking to move out of my parents house you know there's a lot of things kind of in flux but it's obviously not uh the cheapest time to exist in this world. And a lot of things are just seeming so expensive. Um, And even on the flip side of that, we've gotten people who have asked us, well, I make good money, but I feel like it's not going very far, or I feel like I'm losing control. I don't know where my, my money is going. And so that kind of brings us to the topic of building a really effective budget and what that means and what that looks like, which is what we're going to dive into today. I got this question on my Instagram story the other day. I was doing a Q&A for something else and I got a question which I get so frequently that says, I do make decent money and I've already tried to lower my expenses, but I still feel like my money doesn't last. And what are your tips for that? And I think I get this so often. I meet with a lot of people one-on-one to talk through some financial coaching stuff. And a lot of them 
they do make pretty good money. Um, it's not the fact that their income can't support their expenses, but they can't seemingly find that spread between their income and their expenses. And that's sort of the ineffective budget that we're going to be talking about today. So the most basic of financial principles is that there does need to be a spread between your income and your expenses in order to make any sort of financial progress and hit any of your financial goals. So that's what we'll be talking about in today's episode. So we have kind of broken this down into kind of a three root causes of why this might be happening in your budget. Erin, why don't you walk us through some of these root causes? Yeah, 100%. I get this question a lot, what to do if you are trying to create a budget and you can't find that spread between your income and your expenses. And I think a lot of people go to their income and think that their income is their root cause. They need to make more money. And when they make more money, all of their money problems will go away. But I always tell people you need to find the true root cause of why your budget is ineffective. And I kind of break this down between three different root causes. The first one being a needs problem, the second one being a wants problem, and the third one being an income problem. And we intentionally put this one as the third problem because we like to tell people to really walk through the first two root causes first and make sure that those aren't your actual root causes before you jump to that income conclusion. Because again, I think it is really easy for people to say, well, I don't make enough money, so I'll try to make more money and then all of my money problems will go away, which for most people, there are some other underlying problems that can be fixed to make your budget a little bit more effective. Before we dive deeper into each of these root causes, we want to set the scene of kind of where people are coming into this and what's going on in the world more generally. I think that there are a lot of people, I think especially older folks, who don't necessarily recognize that a lot of younger folks are living in a very different world. And I think we've pulled some of the stats to kind of talk about that. I was just having this conversation with my dad and my brother the other day when we were at FinCon. I was like, Grace, look at this conversation that I'm having with my family right now. And I do think we get into this conversation where every generation thinks they have it the worst. And obviously we didn't live in that era, so we don't know. Um, but when you actually do look at the stats and kind of pull them back, there are some alarming stats on obviously the cost of goods versus the way that income is rising and everything like that. So when I was having this conversation with my dad and my brother, I literally pulled up five different statistics and sent them to him. And I was like, I don't know. I obviously wasn't there when you were younger, but here's like what I'm seeing and like how we kind of think through these things. Um, and some of these stats are kind of alarming and they make you feel like, oh, why would I even try to budget? Or I'm never going to be able to build an effective budget because everything's so expensive and I'm never going to be able to give a get ahead. So we don't want to spend like too much time talking through like why everything is terrible right now. We obviously did label this episode when everything's expensive AF because we are acknowledging that everything's expensive right now and it is challenging for a lot of reasons. However, we do kind of want to bring this back to like focus on what you can control. Um, we'll give you some actionable tips in this episode for fixing your budget and getting into a better space of making it more effective and being able to hit your financial goals. But some of the stats that we were sending back and forth, the first one is since 1965, home prices have increased 7.6 times faster than income. It's crazy. I feel like there's been this uh, idea that owning a home is like the way and the only way. And if you don't get a home, it, like if you don't buy something, then you're like falling behind. 
but that is crazy. <laughs> like 7.6 times faster than your income. Yeah, <laughs> who's buying a house right now? <laughs> that are saying like in most major cities across the U.S. And when we say major cities, that's not just the New Yorks and the L.A.s because like duh, but even some of the smaller cities like I live in Pittsburgh and that's are still saying that it's cheaper to rent right now than to buy on a monthly basis. And everyone says like buy a house because your mortgage payment will be less than your rent. No, it won't. No, it won't. Uh, and that's on top yeah. of the 20% down payment or a smaller down payment, but then you're spending more money on PMI and everything like that. So yeah, it's, we're in a tough place. A lot of people say that, oh, you go buy a house in Texas or something. But I was actually writing an article about this for work and the property taxes there are insane. So it's like, I don't know. And then when you think about the fact that your income is not keeping up with that expense, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Second stat was that college costs have increased 169% over the past four decades, while earnings for workers between the ages of 22 and 27 increased by just 19%. And I don't think this is shocking for anyone, sadly, um, but it's really sad to look at. And the fact that a lot of that cost of college is being covered by student loans, which then have interest and are making the overall cost of college in the end even more expensive when you factor in the interest that you're paying. Yeah, it's wild. Last one is the minimum wage would be over $18 had it risen along with the productivity, which is a very sad one as well. I know like this is so different depending on what area of the country that you're in. So I'm sure it would be higher if you're in a higher cost of living area. But I know for me in Pennsylvania, the minimum wage is still $7.25. So $18 and $7.25 is a large difference. <laughs> That's crazy. And not to add a little cherry on top, but when I was kind of doing my research, I found that uh, the cost of living is actually expected to continue to increase and it's expected to increase another 3.2% in 2024. And it did increase, I want to say it was like 8% from 2022 to 2023. So there's been a big jump, but so, you know, it's good that it's increasing a little less next year, but it's still, you know, they're still thinking it's going to increase more. But I think this kind of goes back to the whole theme of the episode of you have to just prioritize doing what's in your control. And that's why we want to give tangible tips, right? Like you can't go and reinvent the system tomorrow to make college costs cheaper or to increase minimum wage. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen overnight. So the only thing you can really do is look at your situation and try to do what you can and what's actually in your control. Um, if I could wave a little magic wand and make the cost of living go down, I would. Um, but I am a, just a normal girl, so I can't do that. So I think with that, we can kind of start talking about some of the root causes and figuring out, you know, what is the root cause of your situation and how can you actually address each of those things in a really tangible way. Well, going back to our three main root causes of your, I, I don't want to call it an ineffective budget, but really the reason why you aren't able to find the spread between your income and your expenses. So again, those three main root causes are a needs problem. And I like to include debt in the needs problem category, just because when you're thinking of like your budget components, obviously if you have debt, it is a need that you pay off that debt um, in my opinion. So <laughs> I like to include debt with the needs problem. And then the second one is a once problem. And the third is an income problem. So in this episode, we're going to break down what the three root causes are, how to figure out if that is your root cause, and then what to do in each of those scenarios if you find out that that is your problem. I will say that 
for some people, this could be a mix of like one or two, maybe even a mix of three, but I really urge you to kind of like prioritize one over the other because it can be really overwhelming to be like, okay, I have a needs problem, a wants problem and an income problem. And what do I do? So really getting honest with yourself about what your true root cause is and just like taking some of the actionable steps that we're going to give you in this episode to overcome that. Absolutely. So when it comes to a needs problem, that's really all about the idea that your fixed expenses or your necessary expenses are too high relative to your income. Um, and I know you mentioned including debt in this, and I completely agree. I think that especially when you have debt, you mean there's a required minimum payment. So that's something to think about. You just kind of, you'll notice, I feel like when you're looking at your budget, if, you know, I think both of our budget templates that we sell, they start off with you prioritizing your your needs, your necessary expenses and seeing what you have left over. And I know I've had people message me and say, well, I plugged in my necessary expenses and it says I have $100 left to budget with. How am I supposed to save? That would be either a sign that you have a needs problem or that you have an income problem if you're not even really able to factor in any wants and you're already kind of, you know, your income's already kind of dwindling. You figure out, and again, we want this episode to be super actionable. So if you are listening to this, when you have the ability to pause, maybe take notes, maybe like do some of these exercises that we're talking about, that would be a really great way to identify your main root cause. But for the needs problems specifically, I think a really good exercise to do here is start with the 50, 30, 20 budget method. And I know this method or this framework gets a lot of hate because again, going back to the everything's expensive AF debate, everyone says like, it's just not realistic today to only spend 50% of your income on your needs. A lot of people are in the 60, 70% range. So we totally get that. Um, but I do think that 50, 30, 20 is still a good starting point just to sort of map out again, like you're, we're taking your income and then we're breaking it down by those percentages to see like we should be spending this amount on our needs, but we're actually spending X amount on our needs. So a good thing to do um, to identify if this is your root cause is to get your monthly income and map out what's 50% of that income, what's 30% of that income, and then what's 20% of that income, like get the numeric values and then map out all of your needs. And let's say your income is $4,000 a month. So 20 or 50% of that is $2,000 a month. And then you map out all of your needs and see that your needs are taking up $3,200 a month or $3,300 a month when it should be more around that $2,000 a month mark, then you can kind of go, okay, it might be a needs problem. I also think this is when you do this, this is a good time to look at what what truly is a need to you, right? I've had people say, well, you know, in my needs, my necessary expenses is my Netflix. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, are you positive that that is a need, right? There are certain things that are like truly non-negotiable. And there are things that you think maybe they're a need, but maybe they're not, right? Like maybe your living expenses, you're living, a, you know, in a place that is outside of your budget. And right now, given your financial goals, it makes a lot more sense for you to move into someplace that's a little bit cheaper or get a roommate or, you know, things like that move a little further outside the city. Um, so I would look at too, like what is in there when you're starting to list out your needs, that's a good time to start to think through okay, hold the phone now, you know, this is looking like I'm, I'm way over the 50%. Um, what is making me so far over that, that threshold? Definitely. And I think the needs problem can be kind of tricky because 
To some extent, this is the hardest problem to reverse. Get into the wants problem and the income problem, you can kind of see like a path forward. But for the needs problem, it can be really hard to be like, okay, my rent is too expensive, but what do I do about that? And I think this is something that you and I talk about on our channels all the time. It's just the importance of proactively making good financial decisions for some of your big fixed expenses, those necessary expenses, like your rent, your car payment, because once you have that car payment, you're probably not trading in your car for a, a car with a lower payment. Or once you decided to rent without roommates, you kind of get used to a certain quality of life. So you're really not going to go back from that and get roommates or move back in with your parents or like make a big lifestyle change. So to some extent, this can be sort of hard to reverse, but just like mapping that out again, comparing it to that 50% marker and seeing if you were significantly over that, is it because you are living by yourself without roommates while you also have a car payment and student loans and maybe a little bit of credit card debt, or like maybe those like gigantic fixed expenses are taking up your entire needs budget and aren't leaving you room for gas, groceries, utilities, all of the things that are still needs. Like you mentioned the, the Netflix and the gym memberships, those can definitely be translated into the once category. But I think for the needs specifically, those large fixed expenses are going to be the big kicker for a lot of people. I think there's almost two kinds of needs where one is the needs that are really hard to change or are kind of non-negotiable, right? Some people live by themselves or in a certain area because that's better for their mental health or it's really close to their work. So it doesn't make sense to, you know, move super far away from work if they don't have a car or things like that. And right, yeah, once you're on a lease, you're not going to be like, well, I'm going to pay to break my lease and go find somewhere cheaper. It doesn't make as much sense. But I think there are some needs that you can be smarter about. So maybe if you're shopping at Whole Foods, your grocery budget is $500 a month. Can you afford temporarily, right? You don't have to uh, commit to doing this like for the rest of your life, but can you temporarily shop at Aldi or at a Walmart instead of Whole Foods? Or can you buy the things you really care about at Whole Foods and buy the rest of your stuff at Aldi? Or, you know, are you paying for cable? And right now that's a need, but maybe you can switch to something like Hulu. They're like, they have a premium version where you pay a certain amount each month, I think, and you get access to regular television shows and live TV and, you know, their own shows that then movies that they have on the platform, but it tends to be cheaper than cable. Or maybe you have a prescription that you have to buy that is like non-negotiable, very expensive though every month. I used to be in this boat, it was like $250 a month. Can you use GoodRx to see if they have a coupon? Or I found, for example, that I could pick my prescription up at just a, another pharmacy, literally right down the road. And it was $80 instead of 250. So CVS versus another pharmacy totally different price. Like there are some things that are needs that you can kind of tweak just a tiny bit. Um, like revisiting your phone plan is another one, you know, are you paying for more data than you actually use on a, on a regular basis? Right. So I don't know, don't beat yourself up over those needs that you can't change. Maybe like a car payment or, you know, if you don't have the discretionary income to throw at your credit card debt to get rid of it faster, don't beat yourself up about that. Do what you can but don't forget to do what you can when it comes to the other needs and seeing if you can trim those back a little bit. Points, I think sometimes people underestimate the power of trimming a little bit here and there, and that can really add up to another couple hundred dollars a month. And for a lot of people, like that's the difference between 
saving for your emergency fund and not saving for your emergency fund. So yeah, trimming the the cable versus the Hulu or trimming the phone plan. I know there's many different types of phone plans out there now that will even let you, because it's really expensive to be on a phone plan by yourself, they'll let you be on a phone plan with like your friends or people outside of your family to be able to loop that all together and sort of like lower the cost of your phone bill. So there's so many creative ways to sort of trim the needs without making these huge drastic lifestyle changes. I will say one thing, um, because we mentioned once you have a car payment, it's hard to like trade in your car and go get a lower car payment. But I will say, be careful with that because cars come with so many additional expenses. So maybe it's like, oh, well, I mean, I can figure out how to afford my $400 a month car payment. However, I got a car that wasn't great on gas. So now my gas bill is so much more expensive or my insurance is more expensive because my car is more of a luxury car or the cost of maintenance is higher because I need a special type of oil or just things like that. Be careful with that one specifically. Um, And at the end of the day, there are ways you can go trade in your car. So definitely (laughs) just get honest with yourself about what's a priority. Maybe it's even listing out all of your needs and ranking them by priority and seeing, okay, if I am for sure not going to trade in my one bedroom apartment to go get a roommate, but I can sacrifice the high car payment for trading in a lower used car, maybe Um, just kind of like finding that wiggle room to find the extra couple hundred dollars a month. Exactly. Yeah. Looking at it in terms of what truly is a non-negotiable, I cannot do anything about this versus what can I? And I want to reiterate that a lot of these changes you might make can be temporary, right? I'm not saying don't go to Whole Foods for the rest of your life. I'm just saying maybe for the next six months or so while you're working to build up your emergency fund or while you need when you need more discretionary income, Maybe you go to Aldi for the next six months, or maybe you you decide to you know not go out to dinner as much, or I mean that's like a want, right? But you know maybe there are just things that you temporarily do and you temporarily make changes. It doesn't have to be the rest of your life. Definitely, and I think the the needs problem and the income problem definitely go hand in hand more than the wants problem and the income problem. So if you are sitting here being like, I don't want to go to Aldi for three years, like maybe it's, you're going to Aldi until you're figuring out a way to increase your income, whether increasing your active income or whether finding a side hustle, which we're going to talk all about in the income section. Um, but in the meantime, do you want to move on to the once problem? Yes. The once problem is basically just around the fact that your discretionary spending is throwing off your budget. I think this is where a lot of people kind of tend to go wrong. I think this is like a, a, big issue. But I also think, I personally think far more people have an income problem than they do a spending problem. A lot of the people that reach out to me, they say things like, you know, they they are really wise about their spending. They are frugal. They're thinking through their expenses. They're not going and just impulse buying clothes every single day and going out to dinner every single night and, you know, buying everybody a round of drinks. Like they're not doing those things. Um, but I think that a lot of people get confused between the idea of having money for something and being able to afford it. So they create their budget. They see they have leftover income and they say, great, now I can spend this on all these wants. Um, And now they're, you know, they're have all these different subscriptions. They're going out all the time. They're ordering food out. They're buying more clothes. And then at the end of the day, they're like, well, shoot, I haven't saved a penny in six months. I 
don't think that I can make a comment on what I think is most people's problem. And I think that's the whole idea of why we're making this podcast episode to begin with and why we're really breaking down each of these three problems, because everyone's situation is so different. There are so many people that really don't have a spending problem. And this is this section is not going to apply to them at all because they are, I don't even want to use the term frugal, but they just really live within their means. They track what they're spending. They they know where their money is going and this isn't going to be the problem. But then there are a lot of people too. Again, I meet with people one-on-one to do some coaching stuff. And I meet with a lot of people and I have them fill out my budget template prior to the call with their income and their expenses. We get on the call and I'm like, there what what's the problem here? Like there is a spread between your income and your expenses. So why did you set up this call? And they're like, well, I still don't have any money left over to save or to invest at the end of the month, even though their budget is clearly showing that there should be a spread. And I say to them, I say, okay, these once categories, how did you come up with these numbers? And oftentimes this is, these are numbers that people just like pull from nowhere. This is what they think they might spend. And I say, let's track our expenses for a couple of months and see what you're actually spending. Or let's go back and let's pull our credit card statements. Let's pull our bank account statements for the last couple of months and track how much we've spent in these discretionary categories, because you're probably not being super accurate with them. So I think if you are in this boat where based on what your income level is and based on what your needs categories are, there should be a pretty big spread or at least a big enough spread where you can hit your financial goals like saving and investing every month. Really get honest with yourself about how much you're spending in these once categories because oftentimes if if you're not tracking your spending, I think people are shocked at how easy it is to spend money and they're shocked at how quickly all of those little day-to-day going and getting takeout, going shopping, running to Target on Sundays, all of those little expenses really add up. I think a lot of the people who have reached out to me in the past, and the reason why I say I feel like a lot of people have uh, or don't have the wants problem is because a lot of people have been younger. And so, you know, they're in college or they just graduated. They have their first job, you know, out of college and they're making 40K, 45K, and it's not going as far as they want. So they're trying to be frugal, but they're you know, they just don't have as much wiggle room. I think when it comes to this, one thing I would add, and when it comes to a wants problem, in my budget, when I set it up, I put my needs first, then I go towards my debt, because that is a priority for me. And then I go towards my investments. I have a specific amount that I I set aside for that I invest, I mean, every month. And I obviously know what my minimum payment is on the remaining student loans I have. So I'll add in extra towards each of those goals. And I'm not even adding anything to my wants category until all of those categories are set. So I'm not looking at my overall budget and being like, okay, cool, I'm gonna put $500 towards this, $1,000 towards that in the wants category. And then And then, you know, going back to my investments and being like, oh, I only have $10 left to invest. I'm doing it the other way around. And I think it is disappointing some months, you know, I work for myself. So some months are not as great as others. And it definitely can be disappointing when one month you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go pay $500 and get Botox done. And then the next month you're like, I could not afford to do that again, you know? Um, And I'm building out consistency in my, my business for sure. But that's kind of what it was like in the beginning. It can be disappointing to see that maybe you can't afford the Netflix that you purpose that you previously had, or maybe you can't afford to go out to happy hour twice a week, you know, but that's kind of like the reality of the situation. And if you want to prioritize things like investing and saving or paying off debt, 
there has to be some give and take at some point. I really love that because you hear a lot online about the pay yourself first method. Um, So essentially the pay yourself first method is sort of what Grace was just talking about, but essentially it's looking at your income and before you're factoring anything into your budget, you are paying yourself for your financial goals. So you're transferring money to your savings. You are transferring money to your investments. You're paying down your debt. But I think a lot of people sort of shy away from the pay yourself first method because it's not realistic. Our income needs to go towards our necessities. Like for a lot of people, they pay their rent on the first of every month. So if they get paid on the first of every month, they're going to pay their rent first. So I kind of like, it's almost like a pay yourself second method where you're paying your needs and then you're hitting your financial goals. And then you're sort of seeing like, okay, what do I have left over to spend on myself this month? Um, I really love that. I think for the once problem, a good thing to remember here is just, um, the financial discipline piece. And I know we talk about this a lot on our own channels. We've talked about this a lot in some of our other podcast episodes as well, but really just like getting honest with yourself about how much you want to spend in these discretionary spend categories, how much you can afford to spend, but also which areas you want to spend. Because I think a lot of times, like if you only have a certain amount for your discretionary spend and you really value going out to eat with your friends, but you're spending too much on areas that you don't value. And then all of a sudden you feel really constricted because you can no longer afford to go out to dinner with your friends once a weekend um, because you spent money randomly at Target or TJ Maxx or anything like that, then you're going to feel very constricted with your budget. But if you really are getting honest with yourself about what you value and where you want to spend your money, then put your money towards that and you won't feel as constricted. Budget should reflect not only like your needs, but like how you want to spend your money. Because I mean, if you're listening to this, I guarantee you are probably an adult, whether you're like an 18 year old or you're 45 or however old you are, but you also have free will as an adult, right? Like you get to choose how you spend your money. So your budget should reflect that. You know, if you don't value having a nice car at the end of the day, if you're like, I really don't care. I just want a car that takes me from point A to point B. Don't get yourself into a $500 a month, $600, $800 a month car payment because that doesn't reflect your actual spending. But if you really value, I know people who really value being able to go out to dinner with their friends and like entertainment and being, you know, really social. Okay, then have a bigger budget for that and cut back somewhere else. This goes back to, to like understanding your spending habits and like understanding how you can kind of overcome them. Um, I know one thing. So I feel like I always go back to the point in time where I was in college because that was the point in time in my life personally where I wasn't good with my money. And I know this is going to look different for everyone. Some people don't end up getting good with their money until later in life. And theirs was their late 20s when they were sort of like the worst with their money or weren't spending in alignment with their values or things like that. But for me, it was college was that point in time. So I always go back to kind of like, okay, what did I do in college differently than what I do today? And like, what were the results of that? So for me in college, I didn't track my spending. So I didn't know where my money was going. I was just sort of like, and I think this is kind of applicable for people who are out of college as well, because I worked a ton in college. So I had a pretty high income for being a college student. So in my mind, I was just like, 
well, I make a lot of money so I can spend it and I don't need mm-hmm. to track. I don't need, need to know where it's going because as long as the money's in my bank account, I can kind of spend like whatever I want to. So I didn't end up really saving any money during that time. And just sort of thinking back to some of the things that I impulsively spent my money on that now my habits are completely different. Um, I listed a few things here. The first one, no longer spending my my Sundays strolling through Target and TJ Maxx. I think this is a big one for a lot of people. Like when your hobby is spending money um, and you spend all of your time, like just finding an excuse to spend money, that could be a big one. So if you're having a once problem, maybe start there. I did the same thing in college where I worked I always had like multiple jobs. And one thing I did, which was, I thank myself for, was I had one of the jobs I had, I set it up. It was, I was on direct deposit. It deposited into my savings account. So I never touched the money from that job, but the other two jobs I had at the time, I would take that money from. And those other two jobs made up the bulk of my income. And I would do the same thing. I would just spend it. Or, you know, I'd be like, well, I can afford to get sushi. And it was like, I thought, oh, well, saving and preparing for the future is something adults do. And like, I'm just a girl. I'm a college student. You know, I'm not supposed to worry about these things yet. But I think um, that was really, that was really helpful. And for me, I, college was when I started to realize what I did and didn't value spending on. For me, I've never been someone who values spending a ton on alcohol and drinking. I will go out with my friends and I'll get a couple drinks. But when I'd go to the college bar, I would just have like one drink or I would pregame in my room with something from the liquor store and then go to the bar. Like I didn't see a need to spend like a premium. And so a lot of my friends that would just go to the bar and like buy the $20 drinks and they had no you know issue with that. But it was a good reminder to really think through what do I value spending on? Um, and if you didn't have that realization, I'm lucky I had that realization when I was um, I was 21 because I was of course only drinking legally and um even though I had that realization you know maybe somewhat early on it's okay if you maybe haven't had that realization and you're looking at your budget as you're listening to this and you're like shit I'm spending on things that I don't actually value it's okay like you still have time to change your habits and create a budget and a lifestyle that you enjoy but that also supports your financial goals are so much more mature than I was because I think I again have points here on how I used to impulsively spend all of my money and a lot of it was going out it wasn't just the alcohol but it was for some reason in college I thought that I needed to like go to forever 21 before I went out every single Friday and Saturday night and buy a new top that looked Mm -hmm. the same as all of the other tops in my closet I thought that I never had anything to wear to go out so I would spend all of this money on going out clothes and then alcohol to go to the bars and I also went to college a little bit outside the city so we spent so much on Ubers um so yeah I, I definitely was not as mature as you are I will say within the last year this has significantly changed for me and this has made such a big change in my budget because I have realized that relationship with alcohol for me is like I don't value going and getting drunk at the bars so I no longer even really uber to the bars i'll drive i'll offer to drive my friends and have one maybe two drinks if we're there for like a significant amount of time and usually someone will buy me that drink because i drove them so i go out a lot and don't end up spending any money you know one thing i used to do that was definitely expanding that wants category uh way too much when i was in college was i was in a sorority which is so interesting because i talk about my experience pretty openly i didn't even like being in a sorority like i ended up Basically, I went like early alum status my senior year. I could not wait to get the heck out of it. But 
we would have events. And if you've ever been in a sorority, you know the events, the recruitment, especially recruitment. Gosh, you are just required to wear specific outfits. And instead of me trying to borrow it or going to a thrift store and finding it, I would buy new things. And I was a frugal girly. I remember you know, people would buy these like $300 dresses for formal. Mine was like $30 off the clearance rack on Boohoo. And it was so cute. I loved it. Right. But it was just crazy. I wore it one time. I actually let someone borrow it. Um, and I've never worn it again. I think I donated it. I don't even know if I have it anymore, you know? So it's just like, if I had spent that $300, but I, I would, I would spend on all sorts of things. Or I remember one time we had a formal and I went and got my hair done for it. I like, went and got a spray tan. I never get, a, I, that's the one time I've ever gotten a spray tan in my life. It didn't even turn out good. Why did I pay 80 bucks for a spray tan? You know, it's just going to get my nails done, like manicure, pedicure, the whole thing. It's just, it was way too much. Um, and I think once I left, I was like, why did I spend that money? <laughs> like, why was I doing that? You know, just because everybody else was doing it, but it was on stuff that just did not matter at all. I was also in a sorority. I was like way more into it than it sounds like you were. I was the president yeah. of my sorority. So I, I like that. was very, which is so weird. I feel like now my life is like, I can't picture me going back to that point in my life where I w was that type of person. I don't know. I, I did really enjoy being in a sorority, but totally feel you on every time you turn around, there's a new event and you feel like you have to buy a new outfit for it. And at the time I loved it. I it was like an excuse to go shopping because again, I was so stupid about my money in college. I would blow everything on like forever 21 clothes basically. Um, so I loved that aspect and I was the person that bought the new outfit and loved getting my hair done for formal and all of that. And it's kind of one of those things that now I don't value that, but I'm not going to sit here and dwell on all of the money that I spent. I think a lot of people, and this is actually one of the listener questions that we have for the end was how to not, how to like take the emotion out of the overspend guilt and how to stop yourself from feeling guilty about purchases that you made in the past. And I think there is no reason to dwell on it because you still do have time to make progress moving forward. And there's nothing you could do about it now. I already spent all of that money on the Forever 21 clothes. So I can't return them now. And I feel like, I mean, if, if neither of these things are seeming like you, right, you're not resonating with the wants, you're not resonating with having a needs problem, this is where it comes into the fact that you probably have an income problem, which is just this idea that you know, you're looking for places to cut back. You feel like you can't really cut back or you're cutting back and now you're miserable because you're giving up everything that you enjoy or you're living in a house with eight other people. You know what I mean? Like you're going to these crazy lengths and you're not, you're still not going very far. That's, that's an income problem where you physically don't make enough money to live your life. I think this can be, and this is one reason why we decided to leave the income problem for last, because we do want you to really think through the needs and the wants in your budget first, before just jumping to the conclusion that the income problem is your like one and only root cause. Um, sometimes like, obviously everyone can benefit from increasing their income to some extent, but if you jump ahead to the income problem and try to fix the income problem without first tackling the needs and wants, you hear about it all the time. People who are making over six figures and they still live paycheck to paycheck, they still can't find money to save. Increasing your income will not solve all of your problems if you don't first um, take care of your expenses. So we do want to acknowledge that. And that is why we saved it for last, especially because we feel like a lot of our listeners are probably either end of college to post-grad. And I think this can be a really, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but an interesting time related to your income, because a lot of people will come from college and we just 
read the stats that say that wages for postgrads are declining. We're totally acknowledging that. Everything, again, is expensive AF, like the title of this episode. But there isn't a ton that you can do about it in the immediate short term to increase your maybe first job out of college salary. You're not going to go from making 45K to 100K overnight. So kind of focusing on what you can control with your needs and your wants. And when you are going into college, building your budget before you do things like signing a lease by yourself without roommates or getting into that car payment and proactively making those good decisions with your budget before you like start your first full-time job is kind of a good tip there. Um, But when it comes to the income problem, if you are not in the situation again, where your needs are taking up a significant portion and there's not a ton you can do to cut back without making your life terrible or you're not you're not impulsively spending on forever 21 clothes and going out to the bar spending hundreds of dollars every single weekend if those don't apply to you and you are feeling like you have an income problem we kind of broke this down between two different things that you can do one being increasing your active income and the second one being adding a another stream of income so really diversifying your income i think in terms of i think that a lot of people forget to uh, make an attempt to increase their active income. And I get it. Um, you know, I have been self-employed since I graduated college and the only nine to five I had previously was working at a daycare. And I wouldn't have necessarily thought to renegotiate my salary at a daycare because I was a seasonal employee and I didn't have a degree. And, you know, I was just chilling to hang out with kids and, and, you know, have fun during the summer. But both my parents have worked standard nine to fives for their entire life. And I think a lot of people forget to try to revisit that. So when was the last time that you negotiated a raise or, you know, is your company doing raises every year? I know, I don't know if it's a company my dad works at now or he previously worked at, but they don't have an HR. So he has to be like, hey, it's, I think it's time for me to get a raise. Right. And if he doesn't say anything, no one's, no one's increasing because they're, again, they don't have HR like monitoring it year over year. So when was the last time you had that conversation? Or if you are in a job that maybe you don't, you don't even love, and it's not really supporting you financially. Is there something else that you can find that does support you better financially that you do still enjoy? I get a lot of people who reach out to me and they're saying things like, I'm a teacher, I'm burnt out. I hate it. And I'm not making good money. I'm like, okay, you're in a lose-lose situation, you know? So is there something else that you can find that you would like just as much or more that is going to support you more financially? I think a lot of people are afraid to leave the job that they're at. Um, But I think that, you know, again, if it's not something that you enjoy and it's not supporting you financially, maybe it's time to look into something different. Definitely. I also think that people overlook the increasing your active income piece. And we are definitely in the age of side hustles as two totally self-employed girlies. Obviously, we are in the age of side hustles for sure. But increasing your active income is so important because, again, I don't think that you're going to be able to start a ton of side hustles or side businesses and then all of a sudden make all of this extra money like right off the bat. I think sometimes increasing your active income can be a bit more immediate, obviously, depending on the situation. If you're doing an entire career change, going from a teacher to an engineer, like you might need to go back to school. It might be a whole big thing, right? right? But but in some instances, it's as small as I know um, my part-time job in college, I worked at the sunglass hut for my whole four years of college. So I was there for four total years. And I really 
didn't get, I don't think that I got one raise the whole time. And in my head, I was like, oh, it's a part-time job. Like you don't really get raises. And there was like a little bit of commission. I was making nine fifty an hour. And then there was a little bit of commission based on like some of your sales and stuff. Um, so I didn't think that getting a raise was possible because it's a part-time job. But then when I left the sunglass hut, I was talking to a girl that also worked um, with me at some point there. And she said that she was making close to $12 an hour. And so there, and she literally asked for a raise. So in my head, I was like, wait, that's so smart. Why didn't I do that? I could have been making so much more money this whole time for four whole years. So yeah, whether you're in a part-time job or if you're just coming out of college and you're starting your first full-time job, I think people underestimate the power of what your starting salary is right out of college and kind of like take their salary for what it is. But the higher your salary is right from the start, the higher your earning potential is going to be throughout your career. I feel like there are some stats on this that I've seen. We should have pulled one in for this episode, but definitely consider your starting salary right out of college if you are in that boat and you're trying to figure out how to increase your active income. If you can't increase your active income, think about other income streams or creative ways to increase your income. I know I write a newsletter for one of my clients that's on work and money, and I'm going to plug one of the websites that we use. I know one of the founders of the website. It's called Side Hustle Stack, and it literally is just a landing page with a ton of different options for income streams, and it is so creative. One of the ones I personally love and find so interesting, it's a website called Sniff Spot. And you, if you have a backyard uh, or any type of land, you can rent out your land to pet owners who don't want to bring their dog to the dog park or who have a reactive dog or something. And people on there make like $3,000 a month. And all they do is just keep their lawn mowed and pick up poop if it's there, you know, but it's one of those things that I would never think to do that. There's another site that you can let people who like do van life and travel or live in trailers, you can let them rent out your driveway to park their trailer for a night. And you're charging the same type of value as a hotel would. So you're charging like $300 a night. You do that two or three times, you know what I mean? Depending on where you live. I just, there's so many creative ways. So definitely check out Side Hustle Stack. Uh, it's a shameless plug. I, again, I know one of the founders who owns that website, but it just has so many different resources and it really, pushes you to think creatively about how you're making money. It doesn't have to be a side hustle where, you know, you're doing some sort of formal part-time job somewhere or you're doing manual labor or it doesn't have to be miserable. You can get really creative about how you do it. I think we get a lot of questions about side hustles on our channels, but I think a lot of times people are asking us the questions about side hustles related to social media. At least like that's the lens that I always see it through. And I'm like, there are so many other things to do, not just all of these so, I mean, even just within the social media space, there are so many side hustles, whether you want to be a video editor, a copywriter, all of these different skills, other than physically putting your face to the camera. But outside of that, these like in-person um, side hustle opportunities between, like you said, the renting out your yard, you can rent out a like spare room in your house for storage space. There's companies that let you do that and you make the money off of that. You can do house sitting, pet sitting. We know a girl that um, she's a social media creator. She lost her job earlier this year 
and basically replace her income with pet sitting. And those hours are super flexible. You choose your own hours. My one friend makes thousands of dollars a month between babysitting and pet sitting. There are so many different things to add another stream of income that are really dependent on what your individual skills are and how you genuinely enjoy spending your time. Um, another one is the site TaskRabbit. Grace, do you know what TaskRabbit is? Yeah, I love TaskRabbit. Yeah, yeah. like if you are a handyman or if you have, if you like to paint, you can, people will hire you to come paint their house. Or I hired this guy to move me, move like a couple little pieces of furniture for me. And he built my bed and built some other random Ikea pieces because I'm just really not good at it. And it would have taken me so much time, but he made some money and he likes doing that stuff. So he wants to spend his weekend making some extra money in that capacity. So there's so many additional ways. And like you said, now that the internet is a thing and people are really like normalizing the idea of having a side hustle, there's so many resources on the internet for finding these side hustle opportunities. There was even, I was writing this newsletter for my client. There's even a website where you can go pick up somebody's laundry bring it back to your house, you wash it, and then you go drop it back off and you make like 25 bucks an hour, the equivalent, right? And when you put their clothes in the laundry, you're just chilling for the 45 minutes that it's washing. Um, you know what I mean? That's like with the sniff spot thing, you are, you know, you're not monitoring necessarily when these people are in your backyard all the time. You're just, it's just like having an Airbnb. You're not there in person all the time. Even on TaskRabbit, I was going to say, they have so many really unique opportunities on there. For example, you can get paid. I was just writing about this the other day. I think it's 57 to $117 per hour to set up someone's holiday decorations. So if you like, if somebody doesn't want to set up their decorations in their house, you can go and do it. There's Christmas tree decorating. So if someone doesn't want to put their ornaments up, or if there's like older people that maybe don't want to get in the ladder to reach the top of their tree or whatever, you can go do it. And it was literally, I swear it was like 57 to 117 an hour. I was like, I need to get my ass out there because start decorating people's trees because I mean, that that's crazy. There's just so many different things you can do. I think a lot of times we do see certain things on social media and we think that is the way and the only way, but there are so many things out there. If you are just willing to be a little creative with it. When it's also TikTok and YouTube are also really great side hustle resources as well. I know that sounds really intuitive as people who post on TikTok, but maybe if you aren't thinking this way, just literally search side hustle ideas on either TikTok or YouTube. And so many people are posting about this type of stuff and you would be so surprised at the opportunities out there. But yeah, let's get into some listener questions. We hope this episode was super tangible for you guys and you guys are now more equipped to create your effective budget. We have a couple of questions here that you submitted to our Instagram. So Grace, let's take the first one, how to best categorize your budget. So creating those subcategories to really keep things organized and effective. I prefer to have a less granular budget. So for example, in my wants category, I only have like two or three things. I have my fashion pass membership, and then I have a you know, category that's called fun food random is exactly the name of it. And it, that is exactly that it's dining out with friends, any sort of fun entertainment or random miscellaneous things. And I, I like that. I like having this, you know, just like, okay, here's what I get to spend on fun this month, because some months I want to go out with my friends more. Some months I want to spend more entertainment. Some months I want to do neither. And, um, I like having that versus having, you know, $20 for coffee, a hundred dollars for dining out, a hundred dollars for entertainment. Cause it just, it doesn't work with my brain. So make sure that your categories and the way you're naming them and higher setting them up work for 
what makes sense for you. You know, like don't have it be super granular if that doesn't work for your brain. The next question is what type of savings account would you recommend for a first one? I am a big supporter of a high yield savings account. I just think, I feel like it's talked about just so much in the personal finance space. Um, so I want to make it very clear. It's not a replacement for investing, but I love, I am such a stan. I am a hoe for the Ally Bank High Yield Savings Account. I love it. And the reason why I love it is because my brain needs separation. So in the Ally Bank High Yield Savings Account, you have these little things called buckets. So all your money is in that savings account, but then you can kind of put it into these virtual buckets or envelopes that are all labeled with something different. And that makes me, it's just like, it scratches an itch in my brain. You know, it just, it's so nice. So I can have a little self-care fund. I have a health fund. I have, you know, a saving for moving out. I have a saving for a car, you know, and it's all divided up. And that gives me a lot of satisfaction. And I think, you know, I used to have a traditional savings account. I made literally no interest. I think it was like two cents a year. It was pitiful. But I think a high yield savings account is another way if you're having that income problem to just do something to get a little bit of extra income because you will earn interest on the money that is sitting in your account. You do have to pay taxes on it because it is considered income. But I think it, it's kind of like a no brainer. It's like, why, why not do it? I wanted to make sure we put this question in here just because we get this question a lot. Like, okay, yeah, you talk about a high yield savings account, but then what do I put in my actual savings account? And I think people get really confused about this. You don't need a traditional savings account. Uh, and I think it's just re rewiring your brain to really understand what a high yield savings account is. It's virtually the exact same thing as a traditional savings account. You just might not have access to an in-person branch, um, which if that is important to you, you could still keep your checking account with a traditional local bank if that's what makes sense for you. But you don't, there's no reason why you need both a traditional savings and a high yield savings. They're both savings accounts. They're both FDIC insured as long as you make sure you choose a high yield savings account that is FDIC insured. Um, but yeah, there's no real reason why you need, I don't have any money sitting in a traditional savings. I don't have a quote unquote traditional savings. They're all traditional savings accounts. It's just the interest rate is what's different here. Um, and the last listener question that we have, which is such an interesting one because it applies so well to both of us now that you are fully self-employed, but how do you use a budget planner or template when you have variable income? I get this question so frequently. And like you said, we are both in this situation. So here is my best tip. Um, separate in your mind the difference between creating a budget and tracking your spending. Because I think a lot of people, when they think of budgeting, they like combine the two. And these are like two very different processes. So when you're creating your budget, this is where you're mapping out forward thinking. Okay, how much am I going to make this month? And how much am I going to spend? So this is where you're estimating your income. And if your income is variable, it's really important to estimate your income in a conservative manner, in my opinion. Um, let's say on average for the last year, you've made about $4,000 a month, but sometimes you made six or $7,000 a month. I would still probably budget with $4,000 a month because then when you go and you're tracking your income and your expenses, let's say you did make $6,000, you can add that in. Like you can add, yes, I did make 6,000 and here's where my money met, went. And maybe you have money left over in your budget because you went over, but it's a lot better to be in that situation than it is to 
budget for the 6,000 because you think that potentially this month you might make 6,000 and then all of a sudden you didn't and now you feel like your budget is out of whack. So just making sure yeah. that the number that you're estimating with is a very conservative number. I always tell people to pick a minimum. I'm like, look at what you've made and figure out what is, yeah, what is that average? Or, you know, if you know you never make less than this amount, then yeah, budget based on that amount. One thing that I did too that has helped me immensely, although I don't quite remember how I started doing this, if I'm being honest. So I think it would take a little bit of workshopping to get yourself in this position, but I budget one month ahead. So whatever I make in October is what I will get to budget with and spend and allocate to my different goals in November. And I think if you have you know, say you have a nine to five and then you have other income. If you can for one month, just budget with that full-time income and take that variable income and instead apply it to the next month, that gives me so much peace of mind because I know that I'm never waiting for that money to come in. Um, but I do still base a lot of my fixed expenses on the minimum that I know I'm going to make. So I'm now on payroll with my company. I know what my salary is. I know what my you know minimum monthly income is going to be before I take a distribution from my company. So I know, okay, I'm I'm going to base my rent based on how much I'm you know going to make in any given month, not based on how much do I have once I take a distribution from my company, um, because that distribution amount could change depending on how well my business does that month. So. If you can get yourself into a position where you're one month ahead, it will make so, oh my God, it just truly, it makes me feel so much better. It really does. As, as someone who's 100% of my income is variable, I don't have any sort of consistent, like I don't have a nine to five. It's all variable. Definitely. That is such a good tip and probably eases so much anxiety for so many people with variable income. Um, that is our last, the last of our listener questions. So that comes to the end of what episode is this? We've This is the fifth episode that we've filmed, but I think we might be posting this episode like third or fourth. Um, so we're a couple episodes in now. We already feel, I mean, I know I feel a lot better about filming these already. It's becoming so much more natural for us to be filming these podcast episodes. So we hope you guys are feeling that way as well. And we hope you're still tuning in. Um, if you want to find more i guess follow us on instagram instagram is probably the best place to find more from us and if you do follow us please give us some feedback we would love to hear what you're thinking of the podcast what you're thinking of the way we're structuring the episodes and the topics we've covered or if we want to like build community with you and get your feedback and hear what you're thinking because we are obviously new to podcasting and yeah we just we want to grow this so if you do choose to follow us, we would totally appreciate it. And we would love to hear your feedback. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Girls Talk Money podcast. And we'll see you all next week.